Open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. For those of you that I've not yet had the privilege of meeting, my name is Matt Boswell. I have the absolute privilege of serving as a pastor here at the Trails Church. And on behalf of our elders and our entire congregation, welcome. Welcome. We are so thankful to have you here as we celebrate together Easter. From the first Easter morning that the good news of Jesus rang through the Judean countryside to this Easter morning as that same good news rings through this cafeteria. The church has continued to celebrate, to treasure, to proclaim the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the foundation of our faith, of our hope. One of the earliest church traditions is to gather on the Sunday following Passover and to specifically set our gaze and to celebrate the reality of Jesus Christ having risen from the dead. And as a part of the service, the minister would call out, Christ is risen. And the entire congregation would reply, He is risen indeed. Some of you all have already been to a service like this before. But we don't do this every Sunday, so can we practice this now? Here we go. Let this news fill the air. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That message has withstood two millennia of opposition and antagonism and persecution. Yet, the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to be believed in and preached and sung and told from one person to another because our hearts have been gripped and even made new by that very message. We are a people who have been transformed by the power of the empty tomb. This morning, we also join from brothers, join with uh, brothers and sisters from around the world, some having already gathered to worship Christ, others it won't be still hours from now, from Beijing to Baghdad, from Mumbai to Mexico City, from Cape Town to Christchurch, from Sao Paulo to Salina. Jesus Christ is named and proclaimed this Easter Sunday. I've always loved Easter. I remember as a boy the joy of Easter. Even driving in this morning, I'm always like, do you drive like that? No. But on Easter, it felt appropriate. The celebration of the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely worthy of the brightness and colors and joy that we assign to it. It is a day to, as we just sang, raise your joys and triumphs high. But it is quite possible to walk through this cultural expression of a day and completely miss the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we have been studying the Gospel of Matthew these last 17 years, I mean months, 17 months. I know to a couple of you, it may feel like it's been 17 years, but we are nearing the end, and Matthew has shown us throughout our entire study of this glorious book, through the example of the disciples themselves, though they heard Jesus time and again talk about the resurrection and talk about his crucifixion, they still missed the idea of a real bodily, physical resurrection of Christ from the grave. But I stand before you on the authority of God's word and the witness of history 
the experience of millions of transformed lives to proclaim to you with all confidence, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to you? What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to you? The 15 verses we explore this morning in our study of Matthew's gospel take us from the deepest valley in Scripture to its highest mountain in this incredible crescendo of joy. Last week, we highlighted how the gospel story being told, the king must experience the cross before the crown. We beheld our Savior slain by death. This morning, we behold our King, the Lord of life. The hinge on which all of history swings are held on these three words. He is risen. And this Easter Sunday, I want to give us three reasons that Christians have to rejoice in this day. To be more specific, not just this day, but what Christ has accomplished for us as his people on this day. So from our text, we'll hear this repeated call to rejoice. First, rejoice The tomb is empty. We see that in chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. Second, rejoice. The king is alive, verses 9 and 10. And finally, rejoice. The kingdom is advancing, verses 11 through 15. Let me invite, if you would, to stand to your feet once more for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. Let the gospel ring. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you please be seated? The first eight verses of this text are filled with an invitation to rejoice. Why? The tomb is 
empty. On that first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene and a fellow disciple named Mary were going to the tomb of Jesus. They were not dressed in bright, colorful clothing like you have on today. They weren't bearing flowers to celebrate. No, they came in mourning clothes, bringing burial spices to see if they might anoint the body of their crucified Lord. The rest of the disciples are nowhere to be found. They're hiding in confusion, but these women have come to honor their Lord. All of a sudden, the reality of the supernatural breaks into Matthew's story as he tells us this angel came down from heaven accompanied by an earthquake that rolls away the stone that was sealing Jesus' grave, and then this angel sits down on it. Now, we need to remember from last week that this tomb was extra sealed, you know, by, uh, by the Pharisees. They'd asked for a large guard to stand post so that nothing suspicious happened to the body of Christ. Matthew says the appearance of this angel was so bright, the only language he can find is he says, it's like I was looking at lightning. And what this angel had on, it was like a mother dressing a, a three-year-old boy in an Easter outfit for about two and a half minutes, pure white. After that, all the colors of the rainbow. But this guy's wearing pure white with this remarkable story to tell. The guards who witness this supernatural scene are petrified. They're frozen with fear. It's as if they fainted and fell like dead men. When the ladies arrive, they're told by the angel, do not fear. He knew why they'd come. They'd come seeking Jesus who was crucified. The angel announces the most remarkable good news in history. This is it. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He is risen. Or you could say, Christ is risen. risen I'm coming back at you later. Just be ready. Can you imagine wonder and amazement that these women must have experienced They had followed Jesus. They had believed. They had loved him. Their lives had been transformed by him. They were the last ones to leave at the foot of the cross. And they're the only ones mentioned here to go and greet Christ, even though he was slain at the tomb. Their hearts had never sunk so low as watching their Savior die a sinner's death. And in the instant of this announcement, Their sorrow is flooded with joy. The angel tells them to come into the tomb. Come, look with your own eyes that Jesus, who you know had died and was buried right here, is no longer there. It's important for us to understand, Leon Morris highlights this, the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. He was already gone. The stone was rolled away to let the women in. That's why the stone was rolled away, for evidence to be proven, shown, given that Christ was no longer there. God invites us to step into truth and to believe. As people today who also seek Jesus, I believe Matthew intends us to look at these verses and be filled with with faith in the reality that the promises Jesus made, he kept. Woven in the fabric of this angel's announcement are the words, as he said, as he said. 
They're not being given new information or new revelation. The angel's simply pronouncing what Christ had already said. The first time Matthew records that is in chapter 16, verse 21, where he wrote, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus tells them this again and again, chapter 17, verse 9, 17, verse 23, chapter 20, verse 19, 26, verse 32. Matthew quotes five different occasions which Jesus clearly tells them, I'm going to die, and on the third day I will be raised to life again. Look, says Matthew, behold, he wants us to know. Four or five times he uses that word in the Greek, behold, look at this, the stone that was rolled away is like a little messenger of hope. The stone itself is preaching a silent sermon. Jesus will keep every one of his promises and bring salvation to his people, even if it means experiencing death. You know, the founders of every other world religion have grave sites where their bones are buried and kept. The grave of Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, is empty. As a boy, I went to Jerusalem and walked around a couple of different sites that they believe are where Jesus was buried. I walked in both of those tombs. You know what I saw there? Nothing. Why? Because Christ is risen. Jesus rose victoriously over sin, over Satan, and over the grave. Vain the, st- the seal, the watch stone. Christ has burst the gates of hell. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ hath opened paradise. There are two places in Matthew's gospel he mentions this phrase, great joy. The first time was in chapter 2, verse 10, when the star announced the birth of Jesus to the wise men, and they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Rejoice exceedingly with great joy. The second time is here when the angel announces the resurrection. resurrection. So there's great joy at the announcement of the birth of Christ and great joy at the announcement of the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because these two things are the occasion for great joy in the heart of a Christian. Brothers and sisters, we want to believe the Bible and how it presents truth. And stand upon it. And hold to it. It's our only foundation. And if you're new here, we really believe this book. But not just so that we could have all the right answers. But so that our hearts would rejoice in the truth of God. That our hearts would rejoice in Christ himself. So let's be a people that keep looking at the scripture. Looking at the witness and testimony of the text. And allowing our hearts to move full force toward it with rejoicing. So occasion one, rejoice. The tomb is empty. The next two verses invite us to rejoice because the king is alive. Another way to say that would be, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, so as the women are running to their friends to share with them this good news, the resurrected, glorified, just back from the grave, Jesus stands right there in front of them, stopping them in their tracks, The one who they saw breathe his last and bow his head is now standing before their very eyes. The one they were seeking, they are now seeing. 
And after hearing the announcement of the angels and looking into the tomb, after those two things, you could say that the ladies had strong evidence of the resurrection of Christ, but it's not until verse 9, when they see their Savior face to face, that they have proof of the resurrection. You see the difference? There's evidence. They knew where his body was laid. They knew the stone had been sat there. They come Sunday, three days later, the stone has been moved, the body gone. Those are evidences of the resurrection. But there's lots of things that could fill in that story. But they were unmistakably face to face with the risen, glorified Jesus Christ. This was proof that he is no longer dead. You would think that in being God, that Jesus would have some extraordinary way to greet these ladies on their road. But his first word to them is simply greetings. To even pull this a little closer to our modern parlance is as if the king of the universe says to them, hi. Hi. It's so humble. There's no pomp and circumstance to this. The ladies immediately know his voice. They recognize his face and they fall down and worship him. Jesus is worthy of the worship of every heart. Like the angel before them, he tells them not to be afraid. Why? Because there's nothing to fear when the Savior is near. His aim is not to frighten them, but to comfort them. Comfort them. The reality of the resurrection is a ceaseless fountain of comforts. As we've gathered to celebrate the resurrection, let's rehearse just two of them. One comfort that is ours because of the resurrection is our sins have been forgiven. And that is a great comfort. The more you understand your own sin, the more comforting that is. Matthew's built this case from the beginning of his gospel that the man he's presenting is the promised Messiah who had come to save his people from their sins. How has Jesus proven to be this Messiah? Well, through his perfect, sinless life, through miracles recorded and witnessed through many, through the authority that he's demonstrated with authority over wind and waves and bread and wine and sickness and death, demonstrating his authority over all creation. But uniquely, Jesus demonstrates his identity as the Messiah in his own death and in his own resurrection. This is the heart of the gospel. John Calvin explained it like this. In Christ's death, we have an effectual completion of salvation because by it, we are reconciled to God. Satisfaction is given to his justice. The curse is removed and the penalty paid. Isn't that all wonderful? Still, it's not by his death, but by his resurrection that we are said to be begotten again to a living hope. Because as he, by rising again, became victorious over death, so the victory of our faith consists in his resurrection. Jesus took our sin all the way to the grave and died there in our sin so that they might be paid in full before a holy God. In his resurrection, he gives us this fixed living hope, a fixed proof that 
all that's needed, all that's required for our salvation, Christ has accomplished before us in our place. So what's left that we add to our salvation? Nothing. Nothing at all. Christ himself has accomplished this great salvation. Our sins are forgiven. Another unwavering comfort in the resurrection also provides that for every believer in Jesus Christ, our future is secure. There is nothing more looming or certain as death. Perhaps even over this past year, you have experienced the nearness of death in your life. Maybe the very thought of death even keeps you awake at night, knowing that you are nowhere near ready to meet your maker. The Bible says it is appointed for man to die once, and then the judgment. But brothers and sisters, because of the resurrection, we can sing unto the grave. What shall we sing? Christ he lives, Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise and meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Christian, look to the empty tomb this morning and be comforted. For the Christian, death has lost its sting. In the words of the Christmas hymn, there are uh, two tidings of comfort and joy that I've just mentioned. So for Easter homework, which is really what you came for, so for some Easter homework, would you just spend a couple of minutes today just rehearsing in your own mind other comforts that are yours in Christ because of the resurrection? What comforts are yours because of the resurrection? The words of the angel and the words of Christ are meant to comfort with the truth. So just a very brief word of application here. I'm saying this to all of you who are a part of the Trails Church. Guys, let's be very quick to comfort one another with the truth, to remind one another what is true. We don't need other words outside of Scripture We've been given all that we need in God's self-revelation. So in what ways can we apply Scripture to encourage and strengthen one another as we walk through this life of faith? Rejoice, the King is alive. Or to say it a different way, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, finally, verses 12 through 15. I'd like to remind us to rejoice. The kingdom is advancing. The kingdom is advancing. Now, I must say that the point I'm drawing from this text is nowhere in the text itself. That should frighten you to death. However, I hope to prove my point. As we know now, 2,000 years after this letter was written, what has happened. Watch me closely. Watch every preacher closely. We stay close to the text. Matthew tells us that while the women are going to tell the disciples this good news, the guards pull themselves together, they stumble back on their feet, they unfreeze from this shock of seeing the angel, and they go not to their commanding officer, but to the religious leaders 
to report what they have seen. Spiritual matters require spiritual attention. These priests quickly put together a cover-up story and pay off the soldiers to lie, just like they did with Judas. What's the story that the guards are supposed to tell? What is the story? I can just imagine how this goes the first time that they are asked. So guys, how is it possible? Uh, you mean, you know the old, the old, you had one job thing? Have you seen those? <laughs> guys, you had one job. Like, don't let the dead guy walk out. That's, <laughs> that was the job. So what happened? Well, we're embarrassed to tell you that we, uh, it was late, and we were tired, and we fell asleep. And while we were asleep, the disciples of Jesus, we didn't hear them, but they, they snuck in, and they rolled away this massive stone. We didn't hear that, because we were really, really asleep. <laughs> and uh, they took the body of Christ to an undisclosed location, undisclosed even to us, and uh, he's nowhere to be found. Well, are you sure that's, that's the whole story? That's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes. You were asleep, right? Yes, very asleep. So then how do you know that it was the disciples that snuck in under cover of night and stole the body of Christ? Well, no one's told us what to say here, so... But that's the story. That's the cover-up commission. That's the story that was supposed to stop the greatest news the human ear has ever heard. But it would not work. What's so shocking to me in all of this is the unbelief of these religious leaders in Jerusalem. In spite of the evidence, in spite of the testimony of these soldiers who know what has happened, this angel came and told them exactly what had happened. The religious leaders refused to believe the facts. They simply could not come to grips with the fact that they had weighed and measured Jesus and found him wanting. And instead of believing, they, they cover up the truth with a lie. How could they do that? Well, their eyes were closed to the truth. Their hearts were hard toward God. People in our day, like the Pharisees, also see centuries of evidence, and in spite of the internal testimony of Scripture and, and eyewitnesses like Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted and even killed Christians and then became one, in the experience of millions of transformed lives, many people still refuse to believe in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Christ. As we come to a close, let me ask you again, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to you? Is it the reality that you rest all your hope on? Does it point you to Christ who is your treasure, the treasure that you have found worth more than anything in this world? Then rejoice. It should be ruckus in here. But if the death and resurrection of Christ does not give you comfort but fear, 
It could be because that you, like the Pharisees and the guards, have dismissed Christ. Perhaps you've tried to cover up the truth that you know to be true. Maybe you've covered it up with, with lies, covered it up with your intellect, covered up the truth with excuses, or maybe like the, the women looking for Jesus in this graveyard, you've been looking in all the wrong places for salvation. You've looked for various religions, but know there is no peace or life there. You've tried self-salvation and self-help, but you look in the mirror and you know that there is no help enough for you to make yourself right before God. Perhaps no one has ever even shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you. This is the first time today you've ever heard of such a thing. But know this. There is a sovereign and good God who rules and reigns over all things. And in his love and his joy, he created all things, even you. He put the breath of life in you. But because of sin, we are born separated from God and his holiness. Enemies of God, but in his great love for his people. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that you and I could not live, to die in our place, a death that we deserved, and he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. There are, uh, there's something I didn't tell you about this lady, Mary Magdalene, earlier. Uh, she was an enemy of God like all of us are born. And Jesus, in his great mercy, pursued her. She was possessed by demons when they met for the first time. She had been involved in prostitution before she knew what she was created for. And Jesus, in his great mercy, rescued her from her sin. What is your excuse? What keeps you from trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Is it your sin? Well, our sins are many. His mercy is more. Is it unbelief? Bring your greatest skepticism and your strongest questions and let them walk into that empty tomb and be assured that there is nothing here to cover up. God's big enough for your greatest questions. And at the end of your searching, Every person who's in Christ would encourage you, repent of your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have it on his authority, you will be saved. So what do these verses have to do with the kingdom advancing then? Well, the religious leaders did all they could do to cover up and silence the good news of the resurrection, but nothing will stop it. Why? Because these people had seen with their own eyes The one they saw crucified now walking and talking and eating and laughing, they saw him. You can't stop them from talking about what they had seen. For all of us who are in Christ, we have not seen him with our physical eyes, but we have seen him by faith. Peter, who did walk and talk and laugh and eat with Jesus, said it like this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible 
filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy so great, it makes you drive to church like this. (laughs) That's not every day for the Christian, but it will be one day when sin and sickness and sadness, cancer, viruses are no more. When Christ returns in power, resurrected, as we will be when he comes. We rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it points to the return of Christ, which is the day we now eagerly await. So until that day, let us walk by faith with great joy. The King is risen. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so grateful that this news could be talked about publicly, celebrated with, um, with our hearts and with the opening of your word and gathering together to worship. We don't overlook those as as trivial blessings. Thank you. I pray that for each of us who are in Christ, our faith will be strengthened today, having looked at the glory of the resurrected Christ. And for our friends who are here this morning who who still are in sin, who still are in death apart from you, oh God, let today be the day of salvation. Open their eyes to see the goodness of Christ, to see the severity of their need for forgiveness. And grant to them the faith to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.